This is Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, episode number 96. Today, our special guest is Kevin Brown. We talk with Kevin about his extraordinary experience with COVID and the impact of COVID on leaders' well-being. Don't miss this one. Hi, healthcare leaders. I'm Tracy Christofferson. And I'm Michelle Trosett. We're your hosts for Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, and we are so grateful you joined us today. You're about to see healthcare problems and challenges through a brand new lens and take your leadership to a whole new level with this podcast. We've coached healthcare leaders from across North America for over 30 years as they strive to establish healthy healing organizations and thriving work cultures. This is the only podcast that shows healthcare leaders how to apply polarity thinking the missing logic in healthcare to their reoccurring challenges so they can stop wasting time, money, and resources on fixes that fail. If you want to create a healthy healing organization where staff and leaders thrive and perform at their highest level, where values are aligned, outcomes are sustainable, and the highest quality of care is delivered, then this podcast is for you. Keep listening. Each week, you're going to learn how to leverage a polarity mindset and manage competing priorities as we use a polarity lens to explore everyday challenges with the leaders who are striving to manage them. We're thrilled you're here. Hello, it's Michelle. And it's Tracy. Happy (laughs) to be here. (laughs) (laughs) We're back again. We're back again. Ooh, we were so excited about this podcast interview. Been waiting for this day. Yeah, I, I was waiting to meet Kevin. You already knew him. That's right. They met for the first time today. Yes. So we, we on the airwaves. A, on the airwaves. <laughs> <laughs> Where everything is happening these days. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. I first met Kevin about a year and a half ago. And um, you know, you know how you just meet some people and you're like, wow that person is really special. And uh, he just has this energy and this drive that's, and just, he's contagious and his enthusiasm is contagious. So I am so excited that he accepted our um, request to please bless our audience with your stories and your leadership. And it was a great interview, a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I'm not surprised that you're drawn to him because he oozes positivity just like you do. So I, it doesn't surprise me at all that you really like him. And, <laughs> and you guys are kind of kindred spirits. So you could just tell he has that essence of positivity in him. And um, yeah. yeah, really great leader. So I'm going to introduce Kevin Brown to our listeners now, and then we'll listen to the interview. So Kevin has been a nurse for 33 years, and he's a member of the Executive Nursing Leadership Team at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York City. He is the VP and Deputy Chief Nursing Officer. Kevin is responsible for the integration of nursing practice, quality, and education for 4,000-plus registered nurses across the enterprise, as well as having oversight of outpatient nursing operations. He's kind of at the top of the ship, right? Yeah. Wow. Before this position, Kevin was the director, critical care and pediatric nursing services at at Memorial Sloan Kettering. And he also um, has been a nurse leader for pre-surgical services there, as well as a nurse leader and cardiac surgical services there. 
and at Mama Medes. Good job, Tracy. But I was trying really hard. Uh, (laughs) And then cardiothoracic clinical nurse specialist um, at Mamonides as well, and critical care educator at the New York Hospital, and staff nurse cardiothoracic surgical recovery at the New York Hospital. So he's had a variety of different leadership roles in a few different organizations over those 33 years. And Kevin achieved a bachelor's of science with a major in nursing from State University of New York Downstate Medical Center School of Nursing in 1987. So that's when he started his nursing career. Mm. He has an MS in nursing from Columbia University School of Nursing, which he um, received in 1992. And then he received a doctorate of nursing practice from St. Peter's University in December of 2018. Kevin's doctoral work focused on a new phenomenon known as practice drift. We have to have him back on to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, we do. All right, got to write that down, Michelle. He's an expert in evidence-based practice methods and cultivating a spirit of inquiry internationally. He is a fellow in the New York Academy of Medicine. He holds dual licensure in New York and New Jersey, and he is also licensed as a clinical nurse specialist in New York. Kevin is certified by the American Association of Critical Care Nurses. Wow. Very impressive. Very impressive. And you're going to love this interview because it's equally impressive. So without further ado, here's our interview with Kevin. Well, hello, Kevin Brown. We are so excited to have you on our podcast. It's good to be with you. Yeah, Yeah. welcome. Thank you very much. Good to meet you, Tracy. Nice to meet you too, Kevin. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. As am I. I've heard a lot of good things about you when Michelle and I spoke. Yeah, same here. <laughs> so this will be a wild ride, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Hopefully, hopefully so. What a great way to start a Thursday morning. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly yeah. right. Well, uh, Kevin, I want you to know that Tracy and I love New York City. Like, we love to travel. We're travel yep. gals. We like to take awesome trips together. And we've been to New York City several times. And one of our most memorable trips was when we went with our husbands and we all went to see the Broadway play Hairspray and laughed ourselves silly. (laughs) 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 So we were wondering, since you live in Broadway, you live in New York, um, and and we know that things are shut down right now, but what is your favorite Broadway play you've ever been to? So my favorite Broadway play would have to be Wicked. Oh, that's a good one too. I saw that a really good one. It's a really good one. It's just a yes. different, it's a different perspective on the story that we all grew up on, right? Watching yep. The Wizard of Oz. Yep. So it gives you a very different perspective. And I, what I loved about it was um, the determination of the characters, their individuality, their uniqueness, the appreciation for difference, perseverance over time, right? You think about that? Yeah. You know, and, and acceptance, overall acceptance of somebody being um, not like you. And it just, it just resonated for me. And at the end, um, she prevailed. She prevailed in her own way, and it was her own meaningful story. So it just it just resonated for me. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. yeah. Have, have you seen Wicked Tracy? No, I haven't. All I right, haven't. we got to put that on our it's wish definitely, list. It's definitely when Broadway reopens. It's definitely um, worth the see. You must go see it. It's it's pretty spectacular. All right, I'll put it on my 101 wishes list, (laughs) (laughs) which is getting to be way more than 101. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, Kevin, I had the opportunity to chat with you um, 
oh, about a month ago. And um, you told me about the incredible experience that you had in New York City when COVID first hit, mm -hmm. including being admitted to your own hospital. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I wanted to you to tell our listeners what that was like uh, to have COVID in your own hospital. That sure, sure. So I guess the best place to start, Michelle and Tracy, is uh, several weeks before um, the pandemic really took hold here in New York, I visited Northern Italy with my family, taking my mother for her 80th birthday to my grandparents' towns. Um, which was really just very important to me. My grandparents, you know, came to the United States. They were born in Italy. Um, and my mom and my family have been back, but we've never gone back as a family together, all of us. Um, so my kids, mom and I went over for two weeks and I came back. And when I came back to the United States, as I was on the line to go through customs, uh, you know, my boss is texting me and she's like, you know, you were just in Northern Italy. I was like, yeah, I was. And she goes, well, what's, what's going on over there? Are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. What are you talking about? And nothing had yet sunk in with me because nothing was being said in Italy. Oh. Fast forward, fast forward, four plus weeks later, um, in, the, in those four weeks after I got back, rather, I became the operations chief for pandemic planning for Sloan Kettering. So the senior, one of the senior clinicians on the hospital's incident command um, team to make clinical decisions to plan for the pandemic. And I was going to take a break from that role. And I left work on a Friday evening. And on Saturday, I just didn't feel right. I had not felt well. I felt, I don't know, I couldn't taste anything. I couldn't smell anything. My mother was recreating our Irish heritage on my father's side by making a corned beef and cabbage. St. Patrick's Day was canceled. So we were having corned beef and I was like, I can't smell it. I can't taste it. She looked at me like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you go to bed? And I'm like, so I went to bed. And then, then the next day I had a headache and I said, oh, I have a headache and I have this loss of taste and smell, which were not symptoms yet. Mm -hmm. Fast forward, I clinically deteriorated very rapidly from that point on. And to the point that I was completely incapacitated and couldn't get out of the bed was very difficult to take care of myself. And unfortunately, I probably stayed home a little longer than I should have, thinking this was now not the flu. I probably most likely had COVID. Um, and there was this fear that came upon me. I did not want to go to a local emergency room. The local emergency rooms were full. Patients were dying. That's what we were hearing on the front lines. So I delayed um, until I could no longer delay. And the institution that I work for, Sloan Kettering, sent an ambulance to my home to get me and to bring me here. And uh, I get choked up every time I think of it. When you think about the, the spirit of people and the commitment to take care of one another, it's pretty powerful. So they came and got me. And on my way in the ambulance, I'm coming up the FDR drive. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the fastest drive to work ever. <laughs> I wish I could go in this to work every day. It's like the sirens are blasting and I'm like, why are they going so fast? Meanwhile, in my head, I'm like, I know why they're going fast because you can't breathe. Wow. <laughs> and when I, when I get there, I had a saturation of 78%. I um, you know, was air hungry. I had an acute kidney injury. Uh, my heart was in distress. So I had three systems down. And in walks Amory Hickey, who's our rapid response nurse with the intubation tackle box. And I'm like, oh, dear God, you're not going to intubate me. You can't intubate me. You, you just can't intubate. Everybody gone the vent dies. 
I have kids, you, you just can't, I have more work to do, you cannot intubate me. So I refused intubation. So even though I was hypoxic, I had the wherewithal for myself to say clinically intubation was the wrong decision. And I begged them to value my preferences and to literally do something different. So a team of my colleagues got together and I could hear them outside. He's refusing intubation, <laughs> you know, he's, but he's hypoxic, but he's refusing intubation and he doesn't want the tube. They went with another option, which was uh, treating me with high dose steroids, which was um, a, a strategy they used during the SARS pandemic. Um, and we had published with multiple centers from across the world on using high dose steroids. So the clinical team went with that. And for the first time in a week, I could catch my breath. It was short lived. And then there were pockets of that throughout my admission, but uh, three weeks in the hospital, two plus weeks in the, actually the whole time in the ICU. Um, and uh, here I am vertical talking to you fine folks, you know, so it's been a long, long journey. It's been over a year already. Two Fridays ago was my ICU anniversary. Wow. Yeah, lost 30 pounds in that, in that admission. Um, could stand on one leg for maybe nine seconds, had intensive physical therapy. And I'm still kind of, um, I'm a long hauler. So, you know, I still get mm -hmm. fatigued. I still um, have my heart's a little swollen. My kidney's back to normal. My lungs have some opacities, but I'm being managed and I'm doing really well overall, doing very, very well, thank God. That's, so that's it in a nutshell. So one minute, I'm a nurse executive planning for pandemic. The next I'm humbled in a, in a hospital gown being bathed and taken care of and toileted by the men and women who I represent as the deputy chief nursing officer. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty humbling. What an incredible story. I just, this must have been so surreal for you. I it was, it was, I think the thing that I felt most, Michelle, was fear. And I felt fear, but I never felt the staff's fear. I could only see their eyes. And I've said this in several um, conversations I've had about my experience, but the value they placed on my life and how much I valued their clinical ability and judgment to keep me going and to keep me off the ventilator is what sustained me. It was the power of the human spirit. And it was quite frankly, you know, as Lynn Gallagher Ford, a mutual friend of ours would say, throwing spaghetti at the wall, intubation at that point for me would have been spaghetti at the wall. I needed something tangible and something that was gonna keep me from going down this cascade and ultimately dying at 55 years of age, which is just not where me or my family needed me to be. Right. Well, and I think there's something too about being in an organization where you feel that trust, right? Where you know the capabilities and the capacity of the team and you know their strengths, right? And so you can give yourself to that. So I think so many people don't real. have that, right? So many people don't have that. And I've been a nurse for 34 years. I am an open heart recovery room nurse by background. I came to this organization 23 years ago. So new to oncology 23 years ago, this place is palpably different. They do value you as a human. Patients are central to every decision you make. Um, and I have to tell you, it's a world-class nursing and medical organization. And, and I relied on the greater judgment and the greater good of people rallying for me, particularly not having my family within arm's reach. So my memorial family became my family in that moment. And they, they actually filled both roles. Mm -hmm. They filled the roles of not having my mom, my brothers, my kids at my bedside, but they filled that role plus their clinical role. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
And your story um, actually ended up on NBC Today show with Hoda. Like, it how did. did that happen? It did. So it's just, I think when I left the organization, when I was finally discharged um, after some really tenuous times, uh, the lobbies, the hallway elevator banks from the 18th floor down to the lobby onto the sidewalk on the Upper East Side of Manhattan was lined with my colleagues wishing me well. And I think they needed a success story. Yeah. They, need, they needed something that would tell the story of hope. And I was their hope. So I was the North Star of the pandemic, did not take everybody. Um, so I survived. Yeah. So yeah. I, our public affairs folks had a conversation with NBC and the Today Show executives. And this became an opportunity for me to tell my story with the condition that the nurses who took care of me would also be interviewed. So the three nurses who actually cared for me were approached to actually tell their perspective of the story, as well as some of my leadership colleagues who really were there with me along the journey. Um, so really great. Every one of them along the way helped me. And there are so many others that I couldn't get on the TV show, but the at least nursing was front and center in that story. Yeah, it sure was. And that's actually how I even found out that you had COVID is I caught the, I caught the, um, episode on social media. I was like, Oh my gosh. And it was, I just had goosebumps and tears watching the support that was so visible and palpable of your team watching you as that you, you left the hospital. It was just amazing. You know, Michelle, it is a unique moment in nursing's history. Nursing yeah. has been doing this since inception. Nurse, nurses have been public health advocates since the beginning of time. This is a time that, that the community the, the nation, the international community is recognizing the value of registered nurses. And without that recognition, um, we would not be where we are, quite frankly. And I think that nursing has to be smart about really taking hold of where the nation and the international community is to help move the return on investment and the value of a registered nurse, that agenda forward. Because a bed is just a bed without a nurse. If you have a nurse, it's something very different. Yeah, yeah. So it's a story for us to tell. And it's it's something that, you know, I remain committed to doing that because it was those men and women who would walk through that threshold and into my room each and every day when my viral load was at its highest, knowing who I was in stature as the deputy chief nurse, but putting that title aside and just caring for me as any other human that was in that bed, I mean, that was really meaningful. And that's yeah. what nurses do all the time. We've always done it. Mm -hmm. People are just hearing about it now. Right, exactly. Well, when I first met you, Kevin, um, it was at the Helene Fold uh, Trust National Institute for Evidence-Based Practice at their inaugural summit with our dear friends. You already mentioned uh, Dr. Lynn Gallagher-Ford and Bern Melnick. Yep. And um, I was so impressed. You gave a talk at... Um, Sloan Kettering's commitment to evidence-based mm -hmm. practice. And I would really love if you could tell our listeners a little bit about that journey. Sure. So this journey began when I became the deputy chief nursing officer here at the center about six and a half, seven years ago. It was an inaugural position created by the chief nursing officer. So um, I'm in that inaugural seat and it was a movement to move siloed nursing practice, silo nursing quality, siloed nursing education under one office, that there would never be a practice change without education, without a quality metric to see and evaluate if it's actually working. 
But in doing so, you have to ensure that there's a spirit of inquiry that's alive. And somewhere along the journey in my early tenure as the deputy chief nurse, I met Bern Melnick. And when Bern came and spoke to us, something just went off in my head. And she thought about thinking big and to think big. And she shows this picture, you know, that is very characteristic of any conversation that she engages in about you know, future strategic plan and vision and never losing sight of an opportunity. And what resonated for me was here we are, this international nursing brand. Is the spirit of inquiry alive and well in this organization? And what we always coin the memorial way of doing things, was the memorial way evidence-based? Did it really have the rigor of the evidence to support it? So challenging, um, our historical thinking and really blowing things up a little bit. It did cause some controversy around here. What do you mean? Of course we do, right? Of course we have a memorial. I'm like, you are. I said, I know you are. And you'll be able to say that again, but we got to make sure it's evidence-based. So started with this journey with um, Lynn Gallagher Ford and Bird Melnick to bring a college level um, immersion, intensive immersion to Sloan Kettering, first for our leadership, that every leader in nursing was required to go to this. You could not get out unless you already had plane tickets somewhere. Otherwise you had to be in the room to learn about this method. It was a proven method. It was an easy method to learn. It was valuable. And I thought it would absolutely solidify our future to demonstrate return on investment and value of a registered nurse and how impactful we can be on the practice environment and the discipline of nursing. And that's what started. So 120 of us got in a room, including the chief nursing officer and myself, cleared our calendars for a week and we went off site and we emerged. Mm -hmm. um, and we emerged in a very different way. We emerged thinking differently. And I think that that has now pivoted in such a deliberate way. The vision that I had at that point in time um, it's actually been realized fully uh, as far as I'm concerned. And now we're expanding it even beyond nursing to our interdisciplinary colleagues to get them to buy in as well. But every nurse in this organization can speak to evidence-based practice and a spirit of inquiry and their ability to ask clinical questions or questions about the discipline of nursing. And it's, it's, just, it's just alive and well. Yeah, that, that, that is so awesome. It's great. It's, it's actually, and I think Lynn says that if she could die today, she could, she would feel that the vision that she had that could possibly be at an organization has been realized at Sloan Kettering. And I think it's because of the men and women who work in this organization and they're, they, they put their trust um, in the vision and they put themselves behind that vision um, and they rallied with uh, myself and others to be, see it become a reality. Yeah, and just to connect the dots for our listeners, your refusing to be intubated had to do with evidence-based practice. And I don't know if you want to say a few words about that. It did, because, you know, Michelle, at the height of this, it was like, we're not, once you get to six liters of cannula, so in the ambulance, I'm thinking, as I'm on my way into the urgent care center for, you know, airway management, I'm thinking, Jesus, on Friday, I just signed that nothing greater than six liters of cannula, you go right on event. I was on six liters of cannula in my apartment, in my apartment. So on the drive up the uh, FDR drive in the ambulance, I'm saying, they're going to intubate me. But, but what was the evidence about the intubation? Like, wh why couldn't we use other therapies? What else is out there? And it just really made my mind flutter. And I think it's because I was facing 
my God, I could die from this thing. And I, I said, I don't want to be intubated. You must find something else. And they did. They went back to the literature and this was SARS during the SARS pandemic and they used high dose steroids and they just, they flipped. That was the best evidence available at the time. And then lo and behold, what do we hear in the media several weeks later? Everybody's using this low cost drug to kind of get people out of this respiratory cascade. Yeah. So I believe in it. I'm a card carrying member. And I think my, <laughs> be, my, my being vertical is based on evidence. <laughs> yeah. 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 Walking evidence. There you go. I am walking and talking evidence. That's right. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Hey, it's Michelle, and we're going to get right back to this episode, but I had to interrupt really quick and let you know the doors to our new self-study program, Caring for Others Without Neglecting You, is open for enrollment. We know, especially right now, with everything your team has been through this past year, that you want to do all you can to support them, help them to recover and be resilient and even experience joy in their work again and they need your support. If you are like most healthcare leaders we talk to, you may have been overwhelmed, exhausted and stressed before the pandemic and things aren't getting any better, they're getting worse. So it's easy to see that if you don't prioritize caring for you, you won't have anything left to give to your team. So stop neglecting you and go over to missinglogic.com forward slash new dash events to learn more and enroll today. So, um, you know, Kevin, as you're aware, we're really, really concerned, as everybody is, right, about the long-term kind of burnout recovery that is putting, you know, we're just under such pressure, right, the clinicians and leaders, and COVID has just had such a significant impact. I mean, people were burned out before we came into it. Now, you know, we have PTSD and multiple other, you know, mental health challenges associated with it. And we're just really concerned about that and the impact on leaders as well as the clinicians. Mm -hmm. And um, so what have you seen kind of as the greatest challenges that for leaders when it comes to their own well-being and work-life balance and trying to manage the stresses of the COVID pandemic sure. in addition to everything else? <laughs> I think work-life balance is a coined term and expression. And I think that really is sometimes used frivolously because I don't believe most leaders or the folks that report up through them are really having the best work-life balance. So it's a coin term. It's something we strive to. It's a North Star and you'd like to see it happen. But at the end of the day, I think it really gets down to institutional commitment. It gets into institutional culture. It gets into you being able to step back as a leader and look at your own life, your own work-life balance to find out if it's meaningful or not. And how do you then restore your own self to a place of well-being? Um, and I, I, I've learned this now, and, and I'm not going to sit here and, and BS you. I mean, I still, I work very hard. I work long hours. I don't get home uh, early sometimes. But what I do differently now today is instead of driving into the city, I'll actually take an Uber into the city or an Uber home because that gives me a chance to unwind on my way in and unwind on my way home and catch up. I'll leave work and take a call from the car as opposed to sitting at my desk. So I'm on my journey home 
and I'll be home at a reasonable hour, um, as opposed to leaving work at a later hour and getting home even later. We, I believe that leaders have to lead by example. I think your staff will not at all feel um, like they can balance unless you give them the opportunity to do so. Um, it's almost like giving permission. Um, but my, I had, I had a great director. I've had several great mentors in my career. And one of my mentors, um, Dr. Aileen Killen, uh, used to say to me when I had, I, when my kids were young, I used to say, Aileen, I got to get out of here. I just, I got to get out of here. My kid has a play today or there's a sport event. Then she goes, you need to be where you need to be. And that's the most important place because you're never going to get that back. Mm-hmm. So that's helped help me move forward in my own leadership to my folks that were, work with me. I don't do such a great job of it myself, but I've tried to help them um, by it's okay to leave. It's okay to take the call from home. It's okay to work the half day because you know what? The next time you're here, you're going to work beyond that. So let's just find the mutual balance and let's just move forward. We're all adults. You're going to get the work done. I have trust in you. And that's, that's where you go. And I think, you know, for me, I hold on to, we have a framework here, um, relationship-based care and it's made up of three tenets, um, care of patient, care of colleague, care of self. And you really can't take care of the other two without caring for yourself. So it's, it's about being ready to walk through that threshold the next day. Are you refreshed? Are you rejuvenated? Are you reinvigorated? Are you ready to meet another human being in their cancer story? And are you able to insert yourself, one human to another, to alleviate their suffering um, and be able to identify that suffering? And I don't think you can do that unless you look at yourself. You know, and, and another former colleague of mine, a director, used to say to me, and I do this as well, at the end of your day when you're leaving the organization, and this is from another place that I worked, think about what went well, think about what didn't go well. And if something didn't go well, and if there was an opportunity to restore or to heal that relationship or to fix something, do it in real time, because that'll help the relationship move forward. And I think if you cultivate solid trustworthy, authentic relationships, then you will trust each other and you'll be able to make mistakes. Um, But you'll also be able to hear the constructive feedback that, you know what, you can't continue to work 10 and 12 hour days. You got to get out of here. You got to go home, take your time off and and just, just be whatever that is to you, you know, whatever that is to you. Well, and I think to your point, it is work-life balance is different for each person, right? We, we have to define that for ourselves. And I think some of the struggle is people don't. <laughs> they don't define what is work-life balance for me? What What sure. is it that I want at home? And what is it that I want at work? And what do I need to do to make sure I'm getting both, you know, both that right. I'm giving you attention can't to ext- home? You can't extinguish yourself right. and be professionally relevant. Exactly. You just can't. Mm-mm. In order to be professionally relevant and to be able to influence, you have to take care of yourself. Yeah. And if you don't do that, you're not going to have the energy, you're not going to show the genuineness, and you're not going to be able to ignite a spark under people when they need you most. And the pandemic is something that really showed that. Yeah. You know, nurses, doctors, respiratory therapists, pharmacists, administrators work their tails off amidst the pandemic. So how do you recharge after a pandemic? How do you, and we're not even after the pandemic yet. There's multiple variants happening. We're still in the pandemic. So how do you then recharge? You can't look for after the pandemic because you have to recharge now. 
And if you don't recharge now, um, you are going to burn out at both ends and you're not going to be of any use to yourself or the men and women you're there to support and work with. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, uh, uh, for our conversation last time, Kevin, that's why Tracy and I started a work-life balance boot camp for healthcare leaders. Mm-hmm. And it's been a phenomenal experience. And um, there's just really this awareness that I got to figure this out because I have to stay strong through this. And um, we really help them look at it through the polarity of lens of it's not an either or when it comes to work and personal life, it's an and and both. And what are the action steps that I need to take in place to fit what it is for me? And it's, it's been a phenomenal experience working with leaders all across the country of all professions, but we do seem to attract a lot of nurse leaders. So it's been, it's just, it's been a great program. Sure. It sounds like it. I was really so interested in hearing you tell me about it, Uh Joe. I mean, it just is such good work. Um, And I think that, you know, frontline nurse leaders are often um, sometimes forgotten. They're they're, they're a backbone of an organization. They they keep those units, those clinics running, those ORs running. Um, They do all that orchestration um, to make it happen. We don't do it alone. We do it in collaboration. Right. But they are the unique glue that holds the place together. And I think we have to fundamentally look at them and understand what their needs are. And you're right. It has to be, you know, it, it can't be my life over my job, my job over my life. There has to be some balance. And you have mm-hmm. to figure out what that secret sauce and ingredient is and what is the right balance for you. Yeah. Because none, well, of us, none of us are the same. And you have to be vigilant about it. This is what we teach people. If this isn't a one time, okay, this is what I want. And here's what I need to do. This is, you have to be vigilant every week. What's going on? How do I shift? Where do I put my attention this week? Right. How do I make sure I'm not dropping the ball at home while I'm focused on what's happening at work? Right. So it's that. And then to your point too, it's about self. So the other thing we've done is we've released a new self-study program on caring for others without neglecting you. And so you put you at the center because to your point, you can't pour from an empty cup, right? You got to put that right. oxygen mask on first yep. <laughs> or you don't have anything to give anybody. And, yep. and that is not serving you or them, right? So we're trying to, we're, we see the leaders. That was our, that was what we saw immediately when the pandemic started is everybody's attention was on the clinicians and rightfully so, right? Because they're carrying a significant burden. But behind every clinician is a leader. Sure. And that leader's trying to hold that clinician up. And if the leader sure. falls, everybody falls, right? And well, you know, Tracy, if, they, if the leader looks at the cup as half empty yeah. um, and they don't use it to their advantage of half full, if they don't look at it as half full, they lost hope. Yeah. And without a, if you look at it as half full, there's hope. If it's half empty, that takes away any chance for possibility because you're already going down the rabbit hole of negativity Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to suck the life out of everybody. So my, from my vantage point, from a leadership perspective, I always look at it as a glass that's half full Mm -hmm. because with half fullness, you still have hope. Right. Right. And I think the other thing we're learning too, in, in our, in our journey over the last year, working with leaders is, you know, you want to strengthen the individual leader, but it's also about the leadership team. So how do we bring this to leadership teams so that the whole team is developing their resilience and becoming more balanced? They're actually thriving, which then is infused into the organization, right? So well, I think they, I think that the collective we 
as the individual as opposed to the individual eye. There's always a time for an eye moment. Yeah. But in, in a setting like this, as a hospital, it has to be a collective we. And how do the we come together to actually move an agenda forward? And how do we, re and, and we do that in a way that I have my eye on you, Tracy, and on you, Michelle, and I'm looking out for both of you, and you're looking out for me. Mm -hmm. We're looking out yeah. for each other. And if we do that continually, and that becomes part of our fabric and our matrix, that, that's who we are our foundation, there's no way you can lose. You can only win. Even with a bad outcome, you'll still be at the top of the game because you'll actually be able to maintain a wholeness within your group. Yeah. And the collective we is only as strong as the strongest individual I, right? Like, yep. so the eyes have to be strong to have a strong collective. So, yep. yeah. It's Everybody a has a gift and talent. Yeah. And what you do yeah. with those gifts and talents. Yeah. Everybody has their own individual gift and mm -hmm. talent. When you bring it together, and I say this here all the time, we could be unstoppable. Right. Yes. Unstoppable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so yeah. true. That's so, that's so true. That's what we aim for. Thriving, resilient, unstoppable leaders. <laughs> the true leaders. The true <laughs> leaders. We call them yep. true leaders. TRU leaders. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned, is there anything else, Kevin, you mentioned a couple of things that you've been doing to kind of, now you're back in the seat, right? And at the helm. Sure. You mentioned there's a couple of things, taking the Uber and, you know, taking calls in the car. Is there anything else that you're doing that to help you yourself maintain work-life balance at this time? So I, yeah. So what I do is I've actually kind of changed a couple of things in my life. So, you know, this travel in and out of work, I've made that a little easier periodically using an Uber. Um, I've set a different sleep schedule for myself that actually starts to alert me about an hour before I anticipate wanting to be in bed. Mm -hmm. So it's, there's an alarm that goes off. That's a very soothing alarm that tells me it's time to start winding down. Um, I had some opportunity to lose weight healthily as opposed to as a result of a freaking virus, you know, <laughs> so I lost 30 pounds from a virus, but it was all muscle. So I gained that all back because my docs said, you know, you, you gain, you got to gain it back because you lost muscle. Um, and I did, I gained my weight back and now I'm losing it in a healthy way. So I've done definitely different things, uh, trying to get more active, uh, go for a walk on the beach, even in the winter. I love the beach in the winter. It's just a very soothing place to be and, uh, you know, try to, get away to my house on the weekends to just uh, kind of get away from here um, and to clear my head. And I think those are the types of things that are meaningful and work for me. Oh, that's great. At this, at this, great. At this point. Yeah. 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 Well, great examples. And, and to your point, it changes as the context yeah. of your life changes. It does. What you do changes, right? And yep. what works today may not work three months from now. So right. again, as a part of that vigilance, right? Recognizing, yeah. wait, this isn't as effective as it was. So what else do I need to do? And, yep. uh, so good for you. Good for you. Mm -hmm. and, and what are you doing to support the leaders at this time? So I, I have a, I have a, uh, a core group of nurse execs that report through me. And uh, I think what I've just started doing with them again is meeting in person. Um, we moved away from Zoom because there's something about Zoom that is wonderfully beneficial, but there's also something about Zoom that is lost. And I think that you really lose that deep connection sometimes. 
Um, so I've brought my teams back together in a meaningful way in a socially distant environment, but still in a room together where we could at least see each other um, and you know really hear the inflection of one's voice, watch those nonverbals and, and connect in a very human way. Um, that's been my strategy. And I still like to walk around. I walk around and I talk to staff and try to connect with them uh, to understand what they're going through and what they're feeling so that they have access to me. I think that a frontline, you know, I believe every nurse is a leader, not just if you're mm -hmm. in a leadership role. Every nurse is a leader, a leader of a caseload of patients. And uh, so I, I believe at the frontline bed level, chair or in the operating room, those nurses are leaders. Um, and I meet with the groups that report up through me quarterly and I tour their buildings um, semi-annual. So to make sure that I visit every single site, staff meeting plus quarterly meetings, and that's what really helps me stay connected to them and them to me. Oh, that's great. Yeah. You know, and I think it's knowing people. I think it's knowing someone in an authentic yes. way to know a piece of their story. Yep. Um, not to, not to bastardize it, but to really just know something about someone, whether it be the purchase of a house, the loss of a loved one, a marriage, uh, the birth of a child, something meaningful in their life that you demonstrate connection to them is really important because I think it values them as a human being. And uh, that's pretty much been my leadership brand all along. It's kind of the way my parents taught me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we can relate to that. We, yeah. we we know the power of story and what we find in working with leaders. It's always amazing to us how little they do know about each other. So that's right. I, I totally agree with you how powerful that is. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What a great conversation. Oh, Kevin, thank nice. you so much for. It was so nice. We have to go to a Broadway show together when you come yes! to New York. Let's get rid of this COVID thing. Get rid of this COVID thing. A nice meal, pre cocktail. Oh, all right. Sign me up. We're there. <laughs> we are there. I am so ready. I am so ready for a trip. I'm just and so Tracy, ready. Have you ever met Lynn Gallagher Ford? Oh, yeah. I know Lynn. You know Lynn. So you do yeah. know Lynn. Yeah, I so we'll invite her too. She's a real theater junkie too. She oh, is. Yeah. She is. She'll yeah. be right there with us. She's a Jersey oh. girl by background. So she, I know. Any chance she gets close to the state, she gets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you yeah. could just picture that energy being 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. you know what's so awesome is we can make that happen. I know. So I know. it will happen someday. It will happen. Sure. It will happen. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It will. Yeah. And uh, the other thing is, um, my mother, Vi Trosit, is Tracy and my biggest fan. Uh -huh. I mean, she's just hysterical. And um, her mission in life is to get Tracy and I on the Today Show with Hoda. So there any you way go. you can help. Yeah, any way you can help. Let, let's not, not because we have COVID, okay? <laughs> we don't want to do that. <laughs> We're not going to follow in your steps in that regard. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm gonna, like I can phone a friend. Like me and Hoda are like best buds. <laughs> well, there we go. All right then. Oh, that's work oh. your magic, Kevin. Come on, we know Hell you got yeah. some. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. The security detail at NBC would be like your stalkers here again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you so you made much. My Kevin. Day. Enjoy thank the rest so of much. yours and your week and be well. Be good yeah. to you. Yeah, same to care. you. Thanks, All right. Kevin. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks as always for listening to Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast. 
You can find show notes and links at our website, missinglogic.com forward slash new dash podcast. If you're the kind of leader who wants to help others, then share this podcast with your peers and other healthcare leaders. We're certain if you found value in it, they will too. Please share this on your social media channels and leave us a review in iTunes. If you don't know how to leave a review, you can find instructions at the end of the show notes. We'd also love to hear and answer your questions. So if you have some questions, you can email us at questions at missinglogic.com. And we may include your question in a future episode.